Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hello and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number three. If you listen this far, you'll notice the absence of Benny Goodman stomping at the Savoy. I wanted to change it to the Charlie Watts Orchestra version, but decided not to at this point. The reason is this. Podomatic and other streaming services don't really seem to care that I was using a copyrighted song for my theme. I then started uploading the episodes to YouTube, and YouTube has so many rules that since I use the tune in any form on my podcast, I couldn't monetize the podcast. Now, I don't necessarily expect my podcast to get millions of hits right away, but if they did, I wouldn't be able to profit at all from them. So, Benny had to go. This does open up a new opportunity for any of you musicians out there listening. If you would like to compose and record for me a theme song, I would like it in the vein of Stomping at the Savoy. I personally don't have any money to give you for it, but I will credit each week your song and promote it on the air. And if you have a place for it to offer it for sale, I will plug that too. So if you are interested in composing and recording me a theme song for use on this podcast, please contact me at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Since only a week has passed between episodes, I don't have that much of an update for Fun Ideas Productions. I'm continuing work on the Total Television Scrapbook by transcribing interviews and correcting errors and updating information from my older book created and produced by Total Television Productions, which came out in 2009. So long ago now. (laughs) Other than that, I'm just focusing on this podcast and learning how it works and how to get it promoted and uploaded and all the other stuff that goes along with it. It's been a bit of a bumpy ride, but it seems like if I do something two or three times, it finally works. This episode, I'm interviewing someone I know about and am a Facebook friend of, but I am not entirely sure if I've ever met him. We certainly run in the same circles and grew up in the same area. My friend and guest Lee Hester from episode 2 recommended that I interview my next guest. So I did a little research and uh, found out that he grew up in Cupertino, California, which is right next door to where I grew up in Saratoga, California. Here are a few highlights of his career. He is a comic book inker who got his start at Dan Vado's Slave Labor Graphics. This work eventually led to inking gigs with Marvel, Dark Horse, and DC Comics. He currently has done inking for DC Comics since 1990, inking many of their most popular characters such as Batman, Supergirl, and Promethea. He founded his own company and illustration business called Draftniks, and he has taught an inking course at the Academy of Art in San Francisco. His mascot and logo features Al B. Mouse, the star of his book, Al B. Mouse's Abdicarium, an alphabet book printed with dyslexic font. And he also hosts his own podcast called the Deep Cut Podcast, which covers music much more than comic books. So here he is, Mick Gray. So hi, hi Mick, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good, Mark. How are you today? Pretty good. And so, you know, I generally do interviews like this. I kind of say, tell us about yourself and how you got interested in comic book art and drawing and inking and everything else you do. Yeah, well, um, I guess it's, you know, when I was a kid, I loved comics and I would read them a bit, but I thought of being a budding artist, I used to cut them up and make collections. 
collages out of them a lot, and hate people, comic book collectors hate to hear that. I've cut up, you know, um, Silver Age comics and made, I'm hanging up made now. collages. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, you know, was my start into comic books, was I, I loved them, and I was like just kind of using them as an extra toy when I was a kid, you know, this is when I was 10, and 10 years old. But then uh, when I became, when I was like 12, I became this realist, and I was like, oh, <laughs> There's no way I could ever make a living at doing comic books, so I'll become a drafts person and I'll make I'll you know make art be something that can make me a living. So I don't know why I was a realist at 12 years old, but at that point I had my dad. My dad was a sign builder and sign painter, so he built me a drawing board, <laughs> made me triangles and a T square, and I started getting books from the library and doing drafting at 12 years old in my bedroom. <laughs> get into junior high school, take all the drafting courses I can, get into high school, take regional occupational courses. In 1976, Silicon Valley hits its uh, its start, and there's a small telecommunications company that needs a drafts person, so they hire me at 16 years old. And I, for 10 years, I'm their graphic person, illustrator. Uh, they work me through a uh, AS degree in technical illustration, and I am deep in the Silicon Valley in 1987, let's say, when the company screws up, makes a product for Radio Shack that is a hunk of crap, and the company goes under. And I'm like, well, what do I do now? I've been with this company for 10 years, and then I think, well, wait, I could start my own technical illustration company with all the people that I've met through this company. So I start a company called Draft Technics at that time, and I start doing drafting and technical illustration and graphics for the Silicon Valley, and I'm bored out of my mind. I'm just going, oh, my God. You know those, Excuse me. <laughs> you know those little drawings of the finger pushing the, like when you get in a, a manual for a piece of technology and there's two fingers pushing a card into a slot. Right. I used to do those drawings, Ooh. and I used to do these, you know, hundreds and hundreds of tiny little uh, schematics, and oh, my God, I was just getting bored out of my mind. Uh, my best friend who's into comics at that point, and I'm starting to get back into comics heavy at that point. About 87, 88, we have uh, uh, Crisis on Infinite Earth, Watchmen, Dark Knight Returns, all that stuff's coming out around that time, and I'm going, ooh, resurgence into this. I really dig it. I start reading it again. And then my friend goes, hey, there's this guy down in San Jose that's got a comic shop that has a, his own, he's publishing too, it's called Slave Labor Graphics. And he's, why don't you bring your portfolio down and show it to him? He may he may be able to use you. And I'm like, are you kidding me? What what is my technical illustration, you know, portfolio gonna do? To, well, okay, sounds fun. So I bring it down there to him. I show Dan Votto, mm -hmm. owner of Slave Labor, my technical illustration portfolio. And he goes, you know, you can do backgrounds and stuff for us. All, all my art, you know, artists in general don't particularly care to do the backgrounds. They want to do the superheroes. They want to do all the figures and everything. So you finish off the cars and buildings. I'll give you 18 bucks for a page or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, it sounds fun. Okay. Surely does sound fun because you're going to actually pay me to do something that's fun rather than the schematics and stuff, you know? So, so I start working for slave labor. I work through a few different books with them, Hero Sandwich and Bloodlust and uh, uh, different a lot of different little books. The Griffin was the one when I when I worked with uh, when uh, Dan Votto mm -hmm. sold the Griffin to DC Comics, and they were going to publish it in one of the first graphic novels, very early graphic novel. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, they had Norman Felkley, the penciler, repencil the whole book, and they hired a 
new inker on the book, Mark McKenna. Mm-hmm. Mark McKenna saw my name on the local book, calls me up from Boundbrook, New Jersey, and goes, hey, would you like to help me, assist me in uh, re-inking this book? And I'm like, how am I going to do that? You're 3,000 miles away from me. I'm in California. You're in New Jersey. He goes, oh, I'll just send you pages uh, FedEx every day. Huh. And it just that just blew me away because that's the way comic books used to exist. Comic books kept, I thought, the way it looked. Comic books kept FedEx alive. All the comic book creators around the world were sending comic book pages around the world to each other. Right. Pencilers to inkers and whatever. Uh, you know, every once in a while you'd get one crushed, you'd get one. You never knew what you, if it was going to be <laughs> safe or not. It was kind of scary. Mm-hmm. But I started working that way. And so at two different points working with Mark McKenna, Mark McKenna became one of my major mentors. I have a few, Frank Sirocco mm-hmm. and Mark McKenna and a bunch of different people that gave, that put trust in me, you know, that trusted me enough to ink their work. And because I was didn't know what I was doing. I hadn't even picked up a brush at that point. I was just doing everything with pens. And so Mark McKenna became the guy who at two different points flew me back to New Jersey mm. and said, hey, I'm taking on extra work because I, you know, I, I can see we can make you know, a lot more money. I'm going to take on a couple extra books. We're going to just sit here around the clock for two weeks and we're just going to ink these books and get them done. <laughs> so I did that with him and then I was able to look over his shoulder while he was working because he is a brush guy. And he's going, okay, you're doing great on the background. You've got to learn to use this, too, because I need you to do other figures, too. I can't, it, it's going to go beyond just you assisting me. You're going to be my, we're going to co-ink books together. Mm-hmm. So over a six, eight-year period with Mark, I end up co-inking with him. And it was, that was the big learning time for me. That gave me, we went through so many books, and he pushed me to learn the brush, and I put a lot of time into it as much as I could, and I always tell all my students, uh, it took, I'm a slow learner, it took me eight years to even gain, you know, really confidence with that tool, <laughs> and uh, now I can say, you know, maybe 70, 80% of the lines I put down with, I'm completely happy with, <laughs> but that's how I got into comics. Wow, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty much kind all of, I was going to ask. No, just kidding. It's kind of a convoluted, <laughs> you know. it's kind of weird, because most people, you know, get into comics right. through, you know, just getting into comics. But I, you know, always, you know, I teach comics up at the Academy of Art University in San Francisco, too, and I, oh, yeah. I, I teach comic book inking. Right. And I always tell students, I say, you're at this really expensive school, and you want to be a comic book artist, don't throw all your money into just trying to be a comic book artist. It's such a tiny percentage of people that get to do that. Take the opportunity at this school to gain a versatile artist uh, background. You know, learn as much different kinds of... So that you can do your labor of love while you are making your rent on doing (laughs) some other art in Silicon Valley or whatever. So that's because of me being realist. I've always continued, you know, doing that. Because comics have to be a labor of love first anyways. Mm-hmm. They, you can't just do comics. Nobody is is dumb enough to think that comics are going to generally make them rich. You know, there's that 1% <laughs> of comics that somebody makes a movie out of and they get, they, they, you know, they're the owner of the rights of that character or whatever and they, they become rich off it. But the rest of us, right. we're just slaving because we love doing what we do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, other people I've interviewed... Um, 
they have other jobs that definitely pay them more money. You know, one that can, comes exactly. to my mind is uh, Walter Brogan. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but uh, no. he drew for uh, Marvel's Crazy Magazine for years and Cracked Magazine, things like that. That was stuff he just dashed out in a hurry. Didn't yeah. get paid much, but he liked it because it was fun work. He could draw goofy caricatures, kind of like a Mort Drucker or something like that. Yeah. But his main bread and butter was doing professionally looking, serious looking storyboards and things for agencies and other things, yeah. ad agencies. I don't remember which ones he worked for, but you know, and he had that, you know, for the majority of his career. So I think he's yeah. retired it, now. It's but, so you know, important. Yeah. It's so important because young kids in school, well, I take a show of hands every first class, and they all like, who wants to be a comic book artist? Hi! You know, they're all like, <laughs> dreaming that they're yeah. going to make a living off of that. Yeah. It's not an easy thing to make a living off of. It's not even an easy thing to break into. It's one of the hardest businesses to break into. Yeah. You know? There's so many people that want to do it. Editors, the guys that give you the jobs, are so overwhelmed with seeing so much, they become you know, oblivious to it all. They're just like, we need to get this job done, you know, and we yeah. know this guy's trustworthy and we can get it done, you know, and I mean, it's it's a tough one. And, but I always say, you know, do it as your labor of love, and then if labor of love will always shine through, I think, you know, and it's, if it's going to make you money, that's the way it's going to do it for you. Do you think it's harder to enter into the comic book industry now or when you did it, or... It's about uh, I think it's much harder now. I, mean, I figured. Okay, when, that's what I was <laughs> When I got into comics, there was still that inkling of, oh my God, oh, no. this, <laughs> this book, I just saw this guy sell 500,000 copies this week, and he's buying a house. He has a down payment on a home right. off of royalties. Right. <laughs> and we were all dollar signs in our eyes when I started. I was like, holy crap, this is the best. You know, if we may, if we get lucky enough to get a book that's going to sell 500,000 copies, well, since then, yeah. you know, what was a book when I started could sell, uh, you know, 800,000. I don't know what Death of Superman sold, but that sold something crazy, like a million copies right, or something like right. that. That's what I was looking at. Mm -hmm. And so since then, now our number one book sells if it's crazy good, you're selling 300,000 copies. Yeah. And majority of number one books in the country sell 150,000 copies. You know? yeah. although, so, although it seems like nowadays... Oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I just, just say a completely different industry now. Yeah. You know? I would say nowadays, if you're going to look for big numbers, wouldn't it be better now to do like graphic novels like, say, Raina Talmiger does or something like that where it's through... Scholastic or something, and you sell a million copies of Smile, something like that. Yeah, there yeah. you go. But I yeah. mean, that, but of that, course, I don't know if that's yeah, considered yeah. comic books nowadays. You know, there's people who say that's not a comic book. And, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, it is still, but it's in a different vein, you know, and it's even harder to get into that vein. Really? You know, oh, okay. you're becoming a you're becoming a, a book publisher. How how easy is it to get a deal with Scholastic? Yeah. You know? Oh my God! You know? I mean, sure that. Uh, you know, that's, it is it is kind of a different avenue because Scholastic, I don't know that much about that side of the business, but they have a deal with schools. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you've got an instant audience. You right, know, it's like right. book day. I don't know if you have any elementary school kids, but book day at, at elementary school is you get a catalog of everything right. brand new from Scholastic. And I, everybody orders something because it's a little, because the schools get a little cut of the, of it. So everybody orders because you're helping your own school out. It's right. a real cool deal. It's yeah. a real cool deal. 
but how do you get in with that? Oh my God, it's crazy. Yeah. I don't have kids, but I'm totally aware of it. I know. I mean, yeah, I discovered it myself. That's a big deal, man. You know, way back when in the Arrow Book Club and things like that. But I mean, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, right. now it's pretty generalized. But I, I, I've seen more recently because other people have kids. So yeah, yeah. And I go, wow, this is pretty fancy now. It's like multi pages. It was like a little flip over piece of paper in the old days. It is. Yeah, you know, all I know, all I know about kids' books is. In 2009, mm-hmm. the worst time you could ever want to publish your own kids' book, I would say, you know, at the downturn of the economy, right. um, I made, I was just starting up at the Academy of Art, and I made my own kids' book, uh, Albie Mouse's Abyssidarian, it was called, yeah. and it's just a the ABC book with my little character, Albie Mouse, mm-hmm. and I made it myself, and I was so inspired by the students and the teachers up at the Academy of Art, I said, damn it, I'm going to do this. This is something I've always wanted to do. So I published it myself. I had it printed in the United States. It cost me as much to print the damn thing. I can't even sell it for 20 bucks because it cost me pretty much close (laughs) to that to print damn 500 copies of it. And I went down to San Diego that year and I hustled to every cool publisher that I could possibly go to and I could no peep, not a peep out of anybody. I couldn't get anybody to pick it up. So I made my 500 copies, and it was in black and white. I was really happy with the, you know, had a little slip sleeve on it. It was exactly the way I wanted it to look. Mm-hmm. And I went, I'm happy I did this. But I just put all that money out of my pocket, and it didn't right. do anything for me. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> that's my, you know, uh, story of uh, trying to make my own kids' book and break into that market. It just didn't go anywhere for me. Yeah. Now, You don't have to tell me about that. I, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. Well, if I mean, you know, my books. Well, I mean, go ahead. That's the same. It, it, yeah. it is the same. It, yeah. Like it, it, it's all. It's all. To me, it's worse because I'm not known in that avenue. I, at least right. in comics, my name has a little tiny bit of notoriety because it has 30 years behind it. Right. And right. It's a little easier, but not much. Yeah. <laughs> so how how I knew you is. Uh, well, I've seen that character before. I didn't know much about that book until I looked it up. Is that yep. now? I haven't seen the book. You said the Abdicarium, um, but it's an ABC book. But it's written with a font for dyslexic children. Is that how that well, works? Well, that is the latest edition of it. Which oh, okay. Is, uh, that's something. Yeah, the dyslexic version was just um, because of the company that I work that uh, uh, Cochrane McLaren uh, Publishing. Mm-hmm. They saw a need for that, in the, and okay. it's really, actually, I don't, I don't know what my numbers are on selling it, but I gave them the ability to re, um, uh, put new typography in for uh, dyslexic readers. That makes it easier for them to read. And I was like, this is fantastic. It's a new version of, of you know, uh, able to, you know, for people who can't read regular fonts or whatever, when it's when a font isn't very easily read, then it's an impo- it's a problem for those for those people. So that's just another avenue, and I think mm-hmm. that's a fantastic thing. And it was just something that they saw okay. that um, that 
So is there any future for the character other than being kind of like your logo, as it were? Absolutely <laughs> none. Oh, okay. No, I, I, number, number one, I, I, I've always said, oh, I could, I could get inspired to do more Albie Mouse books if <laughs> there was some financial reward out of it. Right, right. Okay. But, I mean, I work 10 hours a day doing comic books, which is what, again, we go back to what brings the money in for you, what makes right. you make so you can survive. Um, at the end of the day, when I'm done with 10, 12, whatever hours a day I put into comic books, I'm just not the kind of guy that, oh, I'm going to work on my own book now. You know? <laughs> I don't have I, I'm like, yeah. I want to get out of this room. I want to go to a rock show. I want to go out and have some fun because I'm just like, that's the kind of, I, I have two loves. I have the love of what I do, <laughs> and then my other hobby is music, and I love music a lot. So right. that's where I go to get my other inspiration. Okay. And I don't know, if all of a sudden my publisher said, your book is even if it was the dyslexic version, you all of a sudden you're selling. A, you're selling really great now. Well, maybe I would be inspired to do more. But he just started as something that I was sketching at conventions. You know, okay. people go, "Could you do a sketch for me?" And I go, "Okay, here's my little character. It's me. I was a mouse. It's Mick Gray, mouseonified. You know." Okay. And I started doing that. <laughs> I did it for. He He goes all the way back to. Draft Technics. He was the mascot of my first flyer that I made for Draft Technics back in eighty, you know, eighty five or eighty six or whatever. And uh, you know, and then when I started in comics, it was something easy to sketch for people in their sketchbook. Okay. And then all it, it <laughs> way later, two thousand nine, I was inspired to do the to take them somewhere else with the books. So I'm like I say, I'm totally glad I did that book because. Yeah. I'm proud of it. I thought it turned out cool. And my whole family, me, my wife, and my daughter all, you know, worked on it together. So it was a real family wow. experience. Okay. It was yeah. a great thing. Um, so your preference, or again, is it just money motivated? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but uh, <laughs> your preference is to do inking, or do you want to do penciling or anything else? I mean, I know you do, you said you did inking out of kind of practical, realist kind of <laughs> needs, yeah. but I mean... If you had a dream job and money was no object, what would you prefer to do then? I mean, I I love to ink good guys, guys that really okay. appreciate what I do, guys that that I fit really well with, and I've been really, really lucky my thirty years of getting with guys that were like that. And when I work with these really, really good guys. You talk about J.H. Williams, you talk about Barry Kitson, you talk about Ryan Sook, Patrick Gleason. I could never even do what they do. I am not a, uh, a the kind of an artist that can originate, do storytelling, and all that kind of stuff that they do, and do it so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so I'm totally intimidated by what they do, but <laughs> when it comes to me capturing their style in ink, mm -hmm. then I Okay. And that's I will go I will die with a brush in my hand <laughs> most likely yeah the only or, reason or I ask or, is or at, a, or at a rock show one yeah. of the other <laughs> with a brush in your hand <laughs> yeah it might still be the brush in my <laughs> yeah. hand no. but the reason but I, I mean, ask is because I, I, I've interviewed so many people and they they kind of have like this. I do this, but I really want to do this. But it seems like you're yeah. very content with what you're doing, which is really great. And the, there's a majority of inkers that I know that are fantastic artists. Mm -hmm. You know, 
great guys. A bunch of the guys of my contemporaries that I work with are fantastic artists. They do all sorts of stuff, and sometimes they'll fill in on a book, and they'll you know do some pencils and stuff, and I'll just be like, holy crap, these guys blow me away, you know, because I I'm a, I'm a specialist. Mm-hmm. I ink. I've learned how to do techniques and know the know the ropes on how to finish a guy good and that's what I do and I love it you know so I mean I can't really complain it's not like I feel bad for myself that I don't have that talent it's just sometimes it can be frustrating if somebody goes hey we need to generate this and I'm like uh, I think you're calling the wrong guy I don't really do that I'm a kind of a, I'm a guy that finishes you know good pencils you know so no. it doesn't bother me now that now I mean I maybe I was a little bit more insecure of it earlier in my career but now I have 30 years behind me doing this so right. I go okay there's enough people out there that appreciate what I do <laughs> that right. I can be confident with it you know do you do you prefer inking like like is your preference the characters you ink or the pencilers you're inking that's a good question. It, it it's a it's a definitely a combination. I mean, um, character. When I work for DC Comics in general, that's you know that's right. my, almost my whole career. DC Comics. Yeah, so I know you're from Batman. My favorite Batman. Yeah, my yeah. favorite is Batman. Yeah, and I mean yeah. Batman. If if almost anybody who called, you got a, we got a Batman project. We want you to ink. Oh, I'm there. Yeah. you know I want to do it. You know because I just love that. Matter of fact, I I've been bugging editors to get on the Detective 1000 that's coming out. I just keep emailing them going, anything. You want me just one pinup in the book. That's all I want. Because they overlooked me on a, on a action number 1000, you know? And I was like, okay, I wasn't, I've never been really associated with Superman that much. Uh, for a little run there that me and Patrick had. But Batman, I've been on a lot of Batman right, stuff over right. the years. So I was like, please, just give me something on this. So that's how much connected with Batman I am. And I love it. But on the other side... Creators, the guys that I've worked with, you know, like if J.H. Williams called tomorrow, which all the guys I've worked with, they don't need inkers. That's how great the guys I've worked with are. They all can ink themselves. They either go off and paint or whatever, and they don't need me. But I was just lucky enough to be there with them to to ink with them. So when a guy calls me like a couple weeks ago, Barry Kitson, hadn't worked with him in 15 years, and he's like, hey, I'm going to do this indie project. Would you like to ink it? Uh, of course. I'm there. We haven't worked together in 15 years. You're calling me. Yeah. You're showing me how much you want. I know how great of an anchor you are, Barry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he's calling me. So, when, yeah, that's the other side of it. When mm-hmm. when creators of his caliber call me, I'm there for them, man. I mean, so, it's just fantastic. So how do you get most of your assignments? Is DC calling you or the individual uh, pencilers or... Both. Yeah, I mean, over the years, it's always the editors. The editors oh, yeah, are the guys, yeah. and, I, and it was just really lucky through my 30 years that I've connected with the guys that I have. I mean, J.H. Williams, I met him at a convention in Oakland, you know, early, and that's the way we connected. When we connected up, he said, hey, I am looking for somebody that can do what you're doing here. Let's become a team. So for eight years, I worked with him okay. on all the books that we worked with, and he would he would sell him he he didn't have to sell himself very much it was his work sold spoke for him so once dc saw what jh williams could do mm-hmm. they were giving him all sorts of stuff and i was just riding the coattails and in general i that's all i do is i ride the coattails of great guys <laughs> so if i 
want to find the next guy I can jump onto their coattails with, you know? Right now, mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, you know, working on uh, my second issue of Wonder Woman with Carrie Nord. I'm loving it. It's a fun, it's a really fun thing. That first issue will be back, will be out in, I think, November. That's issue 58. And who knows if it's a connection or not. I've, over the last year, you know, I worked with Patrick Gleason for eight years, 50, almost 60 issues of books. Mm. Um, and that ended because the same thing. Patrick Gleason's amazing. He just went <laughs> off, started inking himself. Mm. So, I, so over the last year and a half, it's been me jumping around fifteen different pencilers. Wow. <laughs> trying to find that next guy that wants me, you know. Right. And it's a different industry right now. It's like yeah. less inkers being used, people inking themselves, digital inking. There's mm. all sorts of different things, you know. Um, Publishing books that don't even have inks on it, just publishing from pencils. Right. Uh, there's all sorts of different <laughs> things happening. It's happening. Yeah. And so there's not nothing I can do about it. I have to try to stay connected with the artists that need inkers, that want inkers. Uh, Carrie just kind. Of, I just kind of stumbled upon Carrie through my friends uh, that are editors at DC, and it's a. It seems to be a good connection, but do I know that he? You know that it will be my new partner i have no idea you know but we got we got four issues together so we're still feeling it all out right now but i kind of feel you know after 30 years everything else is icing on the cake and i am willing to pretty much do anything i kind of think i might be moving into the indie realm i'm kind of thinking that you know maybe i'll be doing less in the next 10 years less dc work and more indie work because maybe dc doesn't need me as much anymore. Right. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that's just, I have to be ready because I got to make the bills. Yeah, I was just I curious if ready. you got more because <laughs> I got to be ready for anything, you know? Yeah. So that's when, you know, when Barry offered me this new um, uh, book called Liberty Brigade, we're going to do the 40, ish- 40, 40 issues. I wish it was 40 issues. Uh, 40, <laughs> 40 pages of this uh, graphic novel that's coming out. Uh, I haven't even started it yet, but when he gets back from Baltimore Con will be getting going on it. Mm-hmm. I would jumped on it because it's the first indie thing I've done in forever. You know. Right. So did you get so more DC like, yeah. stuff because they're in LA or no? It has nothing to do with that. Um. I, well, do I get more DC stuff because they're in LA? Yeah. Is that the question? Yeah. Oh, well, I've been with DC since you know since for for thirty years. So right. the only reason I I get DC stuff is because my name is in the Rolex of every editor there, you know? (laughs) So do I get any calls from Marvel? I have never, ever got a call from Marvel. I thought you said you worked for them a couple times, or does that long time I worked for Marvel in the the early days with Mark. Mark McKenna was doing a lot of Marvel work when I first got with him, and so I met guys. And then when uh, J.H. Williams... Uh, me and him jumped over there and did a little bit of X-Men, a few issues of that. Mm-hmm. And then with Barry Kitson, I jumped over and did a Fantastic Four mm-hmm. uh, uh, graphic novel. And But I just was never... You know, you kind of get associated with characters and maybe... Uh, I, you know what? I Actually, a lot of editors from those days, I think, moved to D.C. <laughs> mm, okay. I think a lot of editors from those days that I might have met yeah. They went over to D.C., so it's like when, there, when there's a change of the guard at a company, there's a good chance you can just be lost. You know, right. as a, as, you know nobody has your name in their, in their what I, nobody that we're talking to right now knows what I'm saying.
there's right. no such thing as a Rolex anymore. But <laughs> I do. <laughs> anyway. You still have one? Oh, my God. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> I'm not in their contacts on, yes. on their uh, email. That's what I'm trying to say. I know. It's a good <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, it is nicer now that they all, you know, I think, what was it, four or five years ago, uh, yeah. D.C. moved to L.A. to be closer to Hollywood, which was important to them. Right. And it is nicer now that I can hop down to L.A. and go into the office, but I've only done it two times, I think, okay. something like that. So, I mean, it's, uh, it is a different thing. The, you know, guys that are in L.A. that need gigs, um, I'm sure it helped them a lot. Yeah. When you can go into the office and have lunch with the editors, right. you're going to get the gig. Yeah. <laughs> and I always, said that, I always said that about the cool gigs even when they were in New York. I went, hell, man, the guys that are hanging out in New York are getting the the really cool stuff. Right. They're right there. Right. Hey, you're available for this? Yeah, I got this. Here you go. Boom. Right. So, I'm um, 3,000 miles away and now 500, 500 miles away, so it's a little bit different. But I still try to stay in contact with them to get as much as I can. Okay. Quick couple questions about technique. Uh so inking, uh, how fast can you ink? If you have a, a pressure of a lot of pages or a lot of titles all at once, I mean, how fast can you ink? Uh, yeah, that's. T- I hate that. I hate even the thought of of deadlines. But every day of my life, I have to weigh that. In one hand, creativity, and in the other hand, it has to be done today. You know. Yeah. But uh, I can I can do comfortably a page a day. I okay have been pushed to do more and I did not like it and I don't like to I can't bring myself to compromise quality uh, to get something done but uh, I'm sure I've done it over the years and I wasn't happy with it um, but it's that's what you got to do every day if you're working on monthly books that's really unless you got good editors that know how to schedule yeah. you know <laughs> some guys know how to schedule so good that they go okay this book isn't out till November so you know you got the time to do it so right now on Wonder Woman these guys are doing this stuff in advance and it's pretty casual it's been moving it's it's slower than I would generally like it I would love to even move a little bit faster on this but mm. I'm just fine with that as long as they aren't pushing me you know because yeah. I want to do what nice as good beautiful work as I can possibly do without having to go, oh, i got to get this out right now, you know? Right. So, yeah, of course, it depends down. on how many, how complex the page is, right, too? Exactly. Uh, That's yeah, a big yeah. thing, too, because, you know, if you think about it in general, you don't get paid anymore for <laughs> inking a guy that puts down, you know, 300 feather lines on every figure, <laughs> as opposed to a guy that does animated style. Mm-hmm. Almost generally, you get the same page rate, you know. So it's like you are putting much more work in three days to do a double page spread uh, to you know knocking it out in a day on another style. So it that can be, you know, you got it's, that can be a problem, you know. But I mean, you deal with it, you know. You go, okay, well, I'm making up for it on all this stuff because it's a little simpler, mm-hmm. you know, making up for all the time I had to put into that other stuff down the line, you know. But, so what, what do you prefer? Do you prefer pen or brush? I think you alluded to both, so I don't know which one. Yeah, I, I use I use brush the most. Maybe about seventy percent of the time, I'm a, I have a brush in my hand. Raphael number eighty four oh eight. Okay. Number three, that's my favorite brush. Been using it forever and ever and ever. And I use a little bit of quill on fine line stuff, uh, background stuff, and intricate little things. I don't like the quill that much. I'm not that. 
So I put, you know, black or black ink or white ink on a toothbrush, and I give. You'll almost notice that on a majority of work I work, I, I do because it just fits really well. And some guys, you know, it doesn't fit well with it all, but other guys, it just really adds a little bit. Because I'm not a gritty inker. I don't do like scratchy stuff. Like I can't do. I wouldn't be able to ink Bill Sienkiewicz or something like that. You know, that'd be impossible for me. But when the guys. I do slick, kind of a slick line work. So if it needs a little bit of grittiness, what better way than give it some, uh, you know, some splatter of some black, right. you know, the dirt, something flying, blood flying out of the mouth, <laughs> just mist, mistiness, uh, uh, star fields, all that kind of stuff can be done with different applications of splatter. And I love that. I got it from J.H. Williams originally, mm-hmm. and I just kept using it. And it's really, really worked out really well. It's a... It's a quick technique for me, and it, everybody likes it. So, now, do you try to make a page your own, or do you try to emulate the artist, or a little both, or what's the best? I am not. I hope I'm not an artist that people can can look at and say that's McGray's inks. <laughs> I hope I'm an artist that people look at the art and go, "That's Carrie Nord's pencils. Okay. That's J.H. Williams." I am the kind of guy that all I want to do in life, and all I want in life, is to get a phone call from the pencil what I wanted to see mm. and I want to capture these guys these guys I work with like I say they're, they're no slouches everybody I've worked with are really really good at what they do so they put a lot of time into it so I don't want to put myself over it I want to I want to be if I can I want to be a chameleon and I want to be I want to see them mm. I don't want to really be noticed there that's just the way I've always thought of it right. they put a lot more time into it yeah. I think I've just seen different types of artists to, you know, inkers, I should say, that, you know, some do what you do and others, they make it their own, which can be good, right. but, you know, it, it can it frustrate can the original artist, too. Right, right. And, but you are, in general, good editors hire you for that. Yeah. Like, Klaus Jansen is hired because he is Klaus Jansen. He looks like Klaus Jansen, and it looks amazing. You know, and it, he puts that on other people. Even Terry Austin, the genius inker that uh, went through the you know seventies and eight mm-hmm. and eighties, amazing. Mm-hmm. And he would put a Terry Austin feel on things. You know, so I mean that was why he was hired. You know, because they needed that on there and they wanted it on there. You know, and I, I just hope, and I'm I'm pretty sure. You know, now after thirty years of doing this, it's just like they hire me because <laughs> I can capture what this guy's putting down they're putting it down a lot mm-hmm. I don't want to lose I don't want to lose their look right now you mentioned and I mentioned in the introduction also okay. you mentioned you had your own illustration business the draft techniques is that how yeah. you know? do you still have that or is that uh, something you just did for a while before you got into the comic book world yeah that's that's gone yeah okay. that was my okay. technical that was my technical illustration business and uh, it I just at one point I went, wow! I don't need to do Silicon Valley work anymore if I okay. can make enough to survive off of this. And I just dumped it. Okay, I was done with it. Okay, because so, it, it it kind of wasn't clear in your website when I was kind of looking at what you've done. It was like sounded almost like present day, and I was looking at everything you do. It's like, how do you have time to do all this stuff? Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been frankly thirty years. Okay. Since I've done okay. technical illustration for a company like that, okay. and it, it it makes me feel so good because I remember going into clients and going, um, "Oh, by the way, I'm 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 going to have I'm going to 
anymore. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna be able to help you do technical illustration because I'm getting into comic books." And they laughed at me, and they said, <laughs> "You'll be back. You'll need some money real soon." And I never had to go back. Wow. <laughs> so I'm very happy that I survived. I've been surviving off of comic books for 30 years. But you do teach. You said you teach at uh, Academy of Art now. Yes, okay. one day a week I oh, go okay. up to the Academy of Art. That's in San Francisco. I'm in San Jose, so I go up to San Francisco one day a week and teach uh, sometimes two classes a day, um, but right now I only have one. Okay. And it's I just teach comic book inking because it's nice to have 15 weeks for students that most of them generally aren't even, haven't even picked up a brush okay. before, so they're... Whoop. God damn it. I don't know why it's doing that. Um, that's not gonna. Hit, that's not gonna make your interview sound very good. Um, <laughs> it's just R two D two giving yeah, us well, a yeah, he's input. Yeah, chiming in. Shut up, R two D two. I don't want you chiming chiming in anymore. But yeah, so it's like they're all digital. You know, most students are digital these days. So what I do is I t as I show them and they get the opportunity to see what comic book art looks like inked and how to achieve that and then they can apply that to their digital platform they can uh, uh, apply that to the um, uh, Cintiq pad how they're working and stuff so really that's what it is is me showing them this is the way we used to do it maybe you'll still do it at, on your labor of love art but you're really learning this so you can apply it better to the digital platform now, do you know how to do digital yourself, or do you just let it leave No, it I do not do it. I'm a dinosaur, man. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> but I am, uh, you know, through the class, I'm picking up a little bit, but I haven't used it. I mean, okay. I haven't been gotten to the point where I got, you know, nobody's ever, an editor's never called and said, hey, if you don't do this digital, uh, you can't get this job. And right. I mean, right. so I'm still, I'm hoping to, like I say, die with a brush in my yeah. hand. So, but you're not really a snob about it. You're not like, Ugh, huh, digital, oh, no. or are you? <laughs> yeah, I've seen amazing digital stuff, and it's it's another tool. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at when comic book coloring went digital. That happened, what, 15, 20 years ago or whatever it is? Yeah, that's about right. And okay. And so <laughs> it's been, when that happened... Everybody went, oh, my God, everybody's just using so many uh, digital effects, and the coloring is just looking like, it's looking bizarre. People are don't know what to do with it. They just keep on. But once it settled in, mm -hmm. and once people said, I don't have to use every effect on every page, you know, everybody got used to it, then it became the tool that colors comics. Right. And I think, I think it was for the better. It really worked out. Now, uh, we're still in the, I think, we're still in the, you know, early stages of of overall digital art, you know, be taking over. Yeah. You know, I myself don't think it will ever take over completely. I okay. think hum I think humans are love retro number one. And I think comic book handmade comics books will be retro at some point and everybody'll go back to oh, look at the way vinyl came back. You know, vinyl's right. selling more than C D S now, you know, so it's like that's the way humans are. They love love old school, you know. Mm -hmm. So let digital do what it has to do. Let it play itself out to see where it's gonna go if it becomes the way everybody does art. But frankly it's kinda weird to me, being a dinosaur, that art Nobody can really own and hold a piece of digital art. It's right. digital art. You know, you won't you won't have original digital art in your hand. You know, you can't hold that. You can hold a you can hold a uh, you know a, 
you know, right. or whatever. But <laughs> it's like, but original art. Yeah. Well, I was just People wondering if you were threatened by it at all, if you thought, oh, no, this is, you know, if it was taking over, but I suppose you could well, accommodate for it. My, <laughs> yeah, it's already affected my career, so I, I guess I am threatened by it a little bit, but I can't do anything about it, so I go, okay, I'm going to do what I do. Yeah. I've been blessed and lucky for 30 years. I'm going to continue to do what I do, and like I say, I'm, you know, trying to uh, feel out how I'll you know, work out the rest of my career, will it just be more, you know, indie stuff or more, will DC always have something for me? I don't know those things. I don't know those answers, so I just kind of keep my mind open right. to being the artist that I am. Very good. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, I, I, I think that covers your art side. Now, you mentioned music, and you have a podcast, which will introduce us the Deep Cut podcast, and you say you go to a lot of concerts, so you may die with a brush in your hand at a concert. <laughs> uh, uh, so, how does that fit in your life, and, and how to, uh, talk about your podcast a little bit, how you do that. Yeah, well, it, it started out um, because I went to so many concerts, mm-hmm. um, I started thinking, uh, you know, because of me working in comics, I, this is an easy way to meet musicians. Hmm. And I'd be at, I'd be, I'd go be getting ready to go to a show and I'd be, I'd email or Facebook, uh, an artist and I go, Hey, you guys comic book artists? And they, Oh yeah, we love comics. I want to bring you some comics. <laughs> so it was a perfect connection. Musicians and, and artists, there's a great connection. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes a very, you know, uh, right there on the same, you're on the same level with them. So then I started thinking, well, God, I love talking to musicians and I love, uh, you know, just hearing their stories and stuff. So I started doing interviews with uh, music business people and artists, uh, music business people and musicians uh, that had time to do it. And we, we play a little bit of music in between and uh, it it's turned out to be good. It's just, as you well know, putting together podcasts is a real labor of love. I have not, I'm not making any money off it. I have 10 podcasts up as the D, uh, Deep Cut podcast and mm-hmm. um, still just trying to go, okay, I don't barely have time to do this, but when I do, I try to fit them in and get them done. But you yeah. know, when we're putting them together, it takes me and my producer, yeah, you know, 20 to 40 hours to put something like this together when it's yeah. an hour and a half, two hours long and you're mixing in music and you're uh, you know, trying to make it all sound good and everything. So it is a labor of love. I love doing it. Who knows where it'll go? Yeah. I hope someday it might be, you know, maybe I'll get to a point where I can pick up a sponsor or something like that. And that's what right. we all hope for in podcasts, you know, that it becomes more than just a labor of love. Right. But even if it doesn't, yeah. it's the same old thing. I love doing it. Yeah. I love talking to people. I mean, I've you know, some of my favorites are uh, Willie Nelson's son, Micah Nelson, was a great interview. Uh, my favorite uh, unknown guitarist in the world, Chris Spedding, he's a great interview. Uh, uh, indie rock god, um, Hal Gelb, was a fantastic interview. Uh, um, I've done some really great ones, so it's been, it's a lot of fun, and um, I'll just, you know, I'm going to keep on doing them and see where it goes, mm-hmm. you know? Now, do you do it like the way I'm doing it, over the phone, or are you meeting up with these people a lot of, in person? Or? A lot of the time I do it Skype, like okay. we were talking a little earlier. I love the quality of a Skype phone call, uh-huh. so um, that's that's worked out really well for me so far, so I've been doing a lot of those, and um, like I say, I mean, I uh, I hope it 
pans out to more. But I mean, like I say, if it doesn't, I'm just a, I'm a total music fan. I have I own three thousand records, you know, maybe the same amount of CDs. I own five hundred seventy eights. I own six hundred forty fives. I just I I have a gigantic collection of music, and and it's all. You know, it's just it's what I love. You yeah. know, so I'm probably up there with you. I don't talk about music much on this show, but I mean, uh, I've written a Beatles book and a Monkeys book, and uh, I'm wow. working on a second one. So <laughs> that's very cool, man. That's very cool. <laughs> now it was my our mutual friend Lee Hester who I interviewed in the last episode who said, "Yeah, he's a great he guy." Said, Mark, you got to interview this guy, and I said, "All right, all right." You know, and so um you know before we t- uh, got on the air you, you said have we met before well i was going to ask you the only thing i can think of is either we've met at a convention or we've met at lee's comics or yeah maybe at a maybe at a free comic book day at least cause because i did that at least once or twice yeah and i worked with lee alongside with him i'm living in oregon now but I, I lived in the bay area most of my life i grew up in saratoga so i mean that's right next door to oh. where you did so wow I know Dan too at Slave Labor, and I uh, used yeah. to go visit him. I worked across the street at the Metro for a while. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, I think Dan's moved since. But I mean, at the time, he was literally across the street. But uh, yeah, yeah. Now he's uh, got the art boutique. Another, another yeah. very interesting change of uh, careers. He's now running a uh, music venue. <laughs> Now, the one thing, you may have been at this, and I don't know if you were, but uh, I asked Lee, and he goes, I don't know, but Lee wasn't there. Uh, were you at Dick Swan's birthday party a few years ago, his 60th birthday? Yes, I was. Aha! Uh-huh. <laughs> so was there, there you t- go. We probably so, met there. Yeah, so that was what I was <laughs> thinking of. We probably met a couple of, times. Yeah, we and, and Lee said you, that uh, you probably mutually know Teresa, who used to work at Comics and Comics. I go, yes. I yeah. Go, yeah, yeah so, I've known her forever, too. Yeah, so we've been kind of in the same circles, just not bumping into each other, literally. <laughs> so, but that's for sure. I, but anyway, so, you know. That's, crazy. <laughs> so that's, Small world, that's yeah, what it is. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, then I'm now up here in Springfield, Oregon, so I'm kind of away from all of it, but I try to come down to the Bay Area as much as I can, which has been twice this year, so. Oh, very cool. That's nice up there. I love it up there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's a few artists up here, like Mike Allred's up here and stuff like yeah, that. So, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So great. it's not like uh, there's nothing up here and Oregon's out in the boondocks. Well, it is kind of, but you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's pretty hip. I mean, you know, considering, you know, it's not so backwoods that you can't do anything, which is good. So. Oh, no. There's actually a great music community going through Portland and up through Washington. It's a yeah. fantastic. It always has been. Yeah, and then Dark Horse Comics is up in Milwaukee, which uh, you did some work for them, too, didn't you, at one point? Or? Very little. Oh, okay. Very little. I did, a, I mean, I did a, a, me and Ryan did a cover to the last issue of Dark Horse Presents. Oh. <laughs> okay. And, which I loved that book, but yeah. we just happened to be doing the cover to the very last issue. Yeah. And then there was something else earlier, but Never did much Dark Horse stuff. Okay. Yeah. I probably did more than you did. Uh, like, well, um, I'm a big Harvey Comics guy. That's my big background. More than, oh, yeah. And uh, uh, Jerry Beck and Leslie Kabarja did a few uh, compilations about 10 years ago or so, and I assisted with... I wrote one of the introductions, and I helped story selection a little bit, but, you know, it was pretty much their thing, but I did assist on it to a certain extent, so... And there was a Casper 60th anniversary book that I contributed my copy of issue number six, which is the first Harvey Casper. 
Wow. (laughs) Because nobody had a copy of it. And I said, all right, I'll mail it to you, but don't destroy it. And he kept, Leslie kept it very nice. So it's like, but that's my copy that they scanned to use in the book because it wasn't anywhere to be found. So anyway. That's really cool, yeah. (laughs) So. Awesome. Anyway, but, uh, you know. Where are we now? <laughs> kind of gone through we're, everything we're, of the career. We've yeah. been just sidetracked. Yes, I know. It's like, so um, what? Fut- what's in your future? I mean, it sounds like you still like doing the inking, so you'd continue that as long as you can, you know, and everything yeah, like that. Yes, well, I'm, but, you know, but, I'm, it, it's been, like I say, over the last year and a half, it's been a bunch of different uh, fill-in books, um, trying to find a new, new partner. Mm-hmm. And so right now, like I say, my... For the rest of the year is going to be uh, Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. uh, issues 58, 59, 61, and 62, I think. Okay. And also at the same time, the Liberty Brigade graphic novel, that's on um, uh, uh, Thrilling, uh, what's the name of the company again? I'm blanking on it. Uh, it it's just, it's a, it's a company that just started to put, produce this um, a book of 40s and 50s uh, unknown superheroes. Okay. And so, you know, public domain superheroes, they're, they're putting together. So the Liberty, Liberty Brigade book was put together by Thrilling Nostalgia. That's the name oh, okay. of the company. And they, they, just, <laughs> they just kick-started it. They've just, they, they hit their goal. They're past their goal now and adding stuff to the book. But it's going to be great because it's uh, Ron Friends and Joe Rubenstein doing 40 pages. Fine, Barry Kitson and I. Yeah, Barry Kitson and I doing another 40 pages, mm-hmm. and then listen to this list of artists that are doing uh, one-page uh, uh, origins. We got George Perez, Alan Davis, Mark Buckingham, John Totlebin, Rick Veach, uh, Barry Kitson, Jim Calafori, Chris Weston, Ken Ashley, Ron Wilson, Mark Morales, and Al Milgram. So <laughs> th- it's a 100-page hardcover. You can get in the Kickstart, and you can get it in uh, paperback, too. Um, it's going to be exciting. Like I say, I haven't started it yet, but uh, <laughs> working with Barry is just exciting to me, and I know the kind of work that he does. He's such a classic-style artist that uh, it's going to be a gas to work with. So I'm very excited that the uh, Kickstart got so – it was uh, funded in a day. Mm-hmm. Well, it just went boom. I mean, with those names attached to it, it got funded in one day. Wow. <laughs> so it, it's still up for another 26 days, I guess, something mm-hmm. like that. So you can still get on board and uh, get a, get a uh, pre-order in for the Liberty Brigade Liberty Kickstarter. Brigade. That's the one. Okay. And that's, so that's what I'll be doing for the rest of the year. After, in 2019, everything's up in the air. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready for anything. All right. Um, Hopefully still with D.C. I want to work with D.C. forever because if you think about it, for 30 years I've been working with D.C. and I got 300 books almost, who knows, something like that, in print. You can buy hundreds of books with my name on them with uh, DC comic books um, through Amazon or wherever with my name on them so that means that I'm getting a little change every time somebody buys a DC book so Mm -hmm. the more DC books I have (laughs) that I do over the rest of my career the better off I am when I can't work anymore you know so it's kind of like a a little bit of a hopeful um 
you know, you can't bank on royalties right. at all, but I mean, you can say, hey, it might help me out. It might be a little bit of a, uh, I'd never be able to retire, I'm sure of that. <laughs> I'll work till I die, but I mean, uh, are there any books? That. You mentioned Action 1000, but are there any other books you either wish you worked on or would like to work on? Get me back on Batman any day. That's all I care about. I mean, that's all I really care about as far as characters go. I just want to work on that character. The, the, mm -hmm. the grittiness, the darkness, the noir of Batman, I, that's what really excites me about books. And I mean, I could get excited about other books too, but mm -hmm. it's just like that's my favorite. It always has been my favorite since I was 10 years old. <laughs> and uh, So I just, you know, that's what I love. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Very good. Uh, do you have anything else to, that you'd like to plug, your website or podcast or anything else? Um, well, yeah, you can find me, uh, fa uh, Facebook friend me. Uh, yeah, Mick Gray on Facebook is the easiest way to get in touch with me. I sell original art. If you're ever interested in any art that's on books that I work on, uh, the Deep Cut podcast is available on YouTube right now. Hopefully I find myself a, a, a good podcast home soon because YouTube isn't good for me but <laughs> it's there right now it's available um, and um, you can my website is mickgrade.net Mm -hmm. You can find information there about me and get in contact with me. And uh, but always Facebook is always the easiest way. It's just the easiest way to get in touch yeah. with me. And uh, you can get too, yeah. you can uh, yeah you can find about about just about anything about me there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, all right. Well, I keep on checking things out by me. There's a little. I have a lot of stuff going on. All yeah. Time. Well, the same thing with me. It's like half the people don't know half the things I do, and it's like well, you know, yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> all we can do is promote, promote. Yeah, That's exactly. all we can do. It's like I started the podcast now, and it's like, well, you you became my second official guest, third show, and it's like, you know, well, I have a fourth nice. one lined up. So it's like, you know, <laughs> you know. that's fantastic. I'm glad you we got in contact and we're able to do it. Man. All right. Well, I hope we stay in touch and everything. But you know, for now, I'll let you go. But uh, it was a very good chat, and uh, got to learn a little bit more about you and your various projects. Well, thank you for doing it, Mark, and uh, good luck with. Us with your podcast and everything else in your life. Okay. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Okay. Have a good Bye. Okay. Take it easy, buddy. You too. Talk to you later. Sure. Bye. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you again, Mick Gray, for being my special guest today. Episode number four will be coming soon, and if you'd like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com and I will read your letters on the air. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2018 Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you very much, and have a good night.